1: Hey everybody, this is
0: Colin with. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Elliot.
1: And uh, our, we got a, a multiple time zone thing going here today, but uh, we're very happy to be interviewing Mart, uh, Marco, excuse me, Altini here. So thank you. Marco, thank you for having yeah, me. Great to have you on here. So for those uh, not familiar with that name, he is the founder and creator, I believe, uh, all that on HRV for training. Um, which is a heart rate variability solution that uh, I've been a huge fan of and using for quite some time. I'm actually not even sure how many years it's been that uh, (laughs) I've been using it and uh, a really big fan and uh, actually been an ambassador of theirs for a few years now, but uh, really excited to talk about HRV. And uh, you want to get into the nitty gritty with HRV. This is our guy here. So, (laughs) uh, Thank you so much. Yeah. So, Marco, why don't you give us a little background on yourself here, please?
2: Yeah, sounds good. So I have a background in um, computer science and engineering, PhD in data science, and another degree in basically sports science, human movement sciences, and high performance coaching. So try to combine a bit the technology side of things and the physiology side of things so that we can try to use the data for something useful. And uh, hopefully uh, we got somewhere over the past few years building these tools. That's a bit what I've been doing. I also advise Aura, which makes uh, similar technology, but a sensor that you wear during the night uh, to measure similar things. Exactly. You have one. Um, And uh, yeah, teach a bit here in Amsterdam. And that's a bit uh, what I do on a daily basis.
1: Okay. And how about, so were you an athlete growing up? What's your, what's your no. Uh,
2: athletic career? No, okay. Not really. I'm uh, just a recreational runner. I mean, I love to run. I'm preparing now a 100K race. So that should get me uncomfortable <laughs> enough, but I'm really just a middle of the park kind of runner.
1: Ah, there's nothing wrong with that. You're doing it. I would say you're more than just a novice runner if you're running
2: 100K. Try
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> my best. Yeah, cool. And how about uh, family? You got, you married kids or anything like that?
2: I'm married, yeah, no kids, uh, nice, but yeah. Yeah, I live here in Amsterdam with my partner uh, originally we are from Italy. We've been uh, in the Netherlands for some years then we were in the States uh, about four years in San Francisco and then moved back uh, to Europe and to Amsterdam. And now we've been here another four or five years. So we'll see where the future takes us.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, that is quite a background you have there. So it sounds uh, perfect for the stuff we love here. That's for sure. So, uh, very cool. So why don't we start out, uh, I mean, I think HRV in general is certainly continuing to get more and more popular. And I mean, we're seeing even it built into beds now and all kinds of things, and it's, it's getting you know, more, a little bit more mainstream here, but do you wanna give us your definition of what HRV or heart rate variability is?
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. So when we talk about HRV normally, we talk about a proxy of stress, um, the way that is um, analyzed technically speaking, let's say, is uh, a way to capture the variability between consecutive heartbeats. So when the heartbeats, it's never exactly constant. So there is always some variation. And that's what we are interested in. And the reason is that variation in these heartbeats is not random, it's due mostly to the activity of the autonomic nervous system in response to stress. So as we face stresses, the activity of the autonomic nervous system changes a bit in response to these stressors so that the variability between beats reflects this activity. So if we get a little more stressed, this variability tends to reduce, and if we get a bit less stress, then this variability tends to increase. So when we look at this parameter, we can get an idea of the autonomic nervous system response to stress. Since we cannot measure that directly, uh, this becomes basically a useful tool simply because it's a practical way uh, to get to something that is close to the activity of the autonomic nervous system since heart rhythm is modulated by it. Perfect,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one way I like to describe it here simple as like you're saying there is, you know, even if you're, let's say your, your heart rate is, is 60 beats per minute for a second, right? That doesn't mean that it's just one beat per second, you know, and that would be the clean way you think of it, but it is varying there. And that's the, the variability you're talking about that we're looking at that can really give us this insight here. So that's, yeah, exactly. uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So what, what got you into that?
2: So, I've, uh, as I said, I was studying a bit of science uh, that was back in Italy, and uh, I don't know, I didn't find anything that was particularly interesting to me uh, in terms of, you know, the typical coursework that we did, um, until I did this course where we started playing with some sensors where you could actually measure something from the body. Uh, And it was, you know, quite some time ago, (laughs) maybe 15 years ago. So we didn't have many sensors back then. So you had these prototypes where you could try to measure, you know, the activity of the heart, some other things like um, the sweat, or maybe even brain activity, but again, just prototypes. So not commercially available things, things that we would develop in the lab. Um, And that I think triggered an interest. Uh, Finally found something that, um, yeah, I thought it was really fascinating to try to measure something from the body and, see how the data changes, see response to the different things we do from just physical activity to stress and so on. Um, And then, yeah, sometimes it's just timing. So the years I got interested into this, technology got better. Um, We had the first iPhones that could connect to, for example, Polar Straps, while the previous versions were even, uh, yeah, you couldn't even do that easily. So you couldn't really develop an app that could talk to sensors and do things like that. While then in those years, when I also started my PhD, this became a lot easier. So I started playing with that. Um, And then, yeah, I think the main trigger then to get this a bit bigger and better known was trying to develop a technology that allowed you to measure um, heart rate variability without using sensors, uh, which is what eventually we did. So just using the phone camera, uh, something that now is also quite common, I would say, if it's not through the phone camera, maybe it's an optical sensor, any watch has one, but it's a similar technology, we rely on blood flow uh, instead of measuring directly electrical activity of the heart. And, you know, obviously blood flows when the heart beats, so you can reconstruct that signal with uh, imaging techniques and, you know, a flash in the camera or an LED and uh, a light um, on a, in a watch, things like that, or in a ring. Um, and that made it a lot easier, a lot cheaper, uh, and then allowed us to grow a bit um, this business and uh, start uh, you know, getting people using it. And I would say at the same time, learning a lot more, because our own understanding also of this has changed a lot over time. We didn't have many of the answers, so we still don't have many. <laughs> but in the, I think in the process, we learned a little, so we learned a bit better. Uh, how to use the tools, and you know, we enable other researchers and universities to do studies, so that we can, uh, yeah, learn more also about things that we cannot.
1: Very cool. So yeah, I was going to hold off a little bit on this question, but since you mentioned how you're you're tracking it here, and I use my phone every morning, I just use the the camera to to track mine, but. What are your thoughts on the watch and the, um, you know, using it on the wrist space there um, coming off of that? Do you find that as a trustworthy source?
2: So I would say that it is possible to measure accurately uh, from many uh, body locations, especially if there is absolutely no movement. So during the night, I think you can get accurate data from a ring, you can get it at the wrist. Um, during the day in the morning for a morning measurement. Also, you you can get a good measurement if you're just lying in there not doing anything. Uh, The main issue with all of these sensors and techniques is really movement. And that's why Typically, maybe we are a bit skeptical because we use them sometimes for exercise and we see that it just doesn't track well with the effort and we know that it's not accurate, that it's a lot of noise. Maybe it locks to cadence or uh, sort of issues that we have, but uh, at rest, it's very different. So there, it can work well, provided, uh, yeah, we just relax, uh, you know, the sensors that you wear at the wrist you can mess it up very easily, even if you just contract your muscle. So you're not doing anything, you're lying in bed and you contract your muscle, that will create noise in the signal and make the data basically very artifacted. So any sort of thing creates issues, but it is possible for specific use cases, like while you're sleeping or when you are just measuring first thing in the morning to get some good data there. Um, There are not that many sensors that can do that accurately, but uh, there are a few now that I think are reliable Um, as long as we use them in the right context. you know There are some that uh, also measure automatically, but when they do so, um, they don't provide very good data. An example I always make is the Apple Watch. The Apple Watch is a good device. It can measure HRV accurately if you trigger um, a measurement in the morning, but when you wear it in the night, uh, it collects just a few data points. And those can be a bit noisy. Maybe you were moving in that moment or simply um, there are other factors that impact autonomic activity in the night. Uh, for example, your circadian rhythm, like your HRV is going to increase slightly over time throughout the night. Like your resting heart rate goes down as basically your body is relaxing, and similarly, your sleep stages will have uh, will reflect uh, HRV differently. So, if you are in deep sleep, it's going to be a bit slower. In REM sleep, it's going to be a bit uh, more active and higher. Um, So those kind of things make it so that if you use a device that is sampling just a few minutes throughout the night, you might get noisy data because of all these things that happen. Um, You know, you are unconscious, but your atomic nervous system is not just idle. It's doing a lot of things. So that's typically gets lost somewhere um, in the message. But I think that's important to remember. And that's why we recommend normally if you prefer to measure in the night, use devices that give you an average of the entire night so all of these issues are averaged out and then throughout the different days you will be able to capture physiological stress well and that's why also we work with aura um, as it provides the full night so i think that's uh, a reliable way to capture baseline physiological stress more than spot checks during the night
0: oh that makes sense yeah have you have you tried that colin like measuring throughout the night because i always just use a finger when i like as soon as i wake up i I just use my finger for, what is it, like a minute? Yep. Yep. right. Have you ever tried other ways to measure it, Colin?
1: Well, it's interesting. I guess I'll have to ask uh, Marco here. So, you know, I am a big fan. I've got the the aura ring on here, right? Which is tracking throughout the night, right? But it's taking, it's still not uh, completely real time, right? It's taking doing a little bit of segmenting or no?
2: So it's, uh, the way it works, it will provide you with um, five-minute segments right. of okay. um, your HIV throughout the night, and then it averages that and gives it to you. And right. when you do that it that way, there was actually a paper published just a couple of weeks ago that was looking at these two things. So first thing in the morning and full night. Um, and they looked at it uh, in a bunch of people and saw that the relationship is actually very strong. So basically you are able to capture the same things because those are Uh, the very few, I would say, uh, contexts in which uh, you are able to measure baseline physiology without being uh, affected by all sorts of things that happen during the day or the night uh, and other transitory stressors. So those are very similar and I would consider them equivalent depending on a person's interest. Uh, It could be that someone prefers uh, to just use the phone and the camera someone prefers to wear a sensor. And then of course there are cost considerations, but in general, as long as you stick to the same method, uh, both of them can capture baseline stress. Uh, so that's, I think it's, uh, it's good also to see it in the literature so that um, it's easier to let's say convince people that they can just pick whatever they prefer uh, instead of relying on, um, I don't know, one company's marketing more than, than others. <laughs>
1: That's fair. Well, yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned that and and kind of go back to your question there, Elliot. So, you know, I do always pretty much when I'm waking up, I take a peek at my aura data and, you know, and see what's going on there. But, and And it makes sense, again, until you just mentioned, I had no idea you had any uh, affiliation with Aura. Um, But, you know, you've had the integration in the app for a while, right? With Between the two. Yeah, exactly.
2: uh, I did that uh, before actually starting working together uh, because too many people were asking for it. So we checked the data and it was accurate. So we thought, okay, let's integrate it. And then we got to know each other and we did more work together.
1: (laughs) Cool, cool. Well, that being said, I still prefer to do, you know, use my my camera and actually do a, a morning reading. Um, as opposed to relying on what the aura is saying, you know, or I guess use it as a second, you know, my primary, but uh, an additional kind of reference point there. Really. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And if you've done it also for many years, I think then it might be still always interesting to look at the data more consistently. While if you change method, then um, it's still useful if you look at the data collected with that method. But then there is a sort of a discontinuity with the previous data just because it's a different moment and the physiology will slightly differ yeah yeah
1: so why don't we to to level set here a little bit more so like so what happens after you do get a reading right is it gives you a score right and you know there's again variability and that's really what we're tracking here but you're going to see how your score differs you know every day you know depending on you know like like he's mentioning here your autotomic nervous system and how uh it's doing there right so but what uh, I guess my question or kind of confirmation here is also is like, there is no score. You know, it's like what Elliot gets for a daily score versus what I get for a daily score is going to be much different. Right. And so it's not like even if you get better, you know, yes, your numbers should climb, but that baseline is going to be different for everybody. Correct?
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the most important things and maybe one of the most confusing for people that get started with this technology that is very natural for people to compare (laughs) and we always compare to others and uh, for HRV it's not particularly useful even uh, with uh, people similar to us that may be you know same age uh, doing the same things and training at the same level not necessarily we expect to see values that are in line and that's because there is a stronger genetic component in HRV uh, with respect to other parameters and it's less impacted uh, by um, even exercise. So if we look at uh, things like resting heart rate, that many people are familiar with that. And with the fact that it tracks quite well with fitness, for example, you know, it tends to go lower as you get fitter, especially if you look at uh, a broader population, right? So people that don't exercise much tend to have a higher uh, resting heart rate people that are you know uh, fit triathletes like yourself have a typically a very low heart rate um, and that's something that is well established I would say but if you look at HRV you don't necessarily expect to see these differences um, and therefore it doesn't really make much sense to compare between people and you can always make some progress right so I don't want to say that what you have is right. what you will always have, right? right. There is always uh, the possibility to change, um, especially depending on where you start, right? If there is room uh, for improvement in your lifestyle um, and you know your diet, your exercise habits, things like that, then of course that will be reflected. But if you check already all of these boxes, typically, Uh, which might be maybe your listener or, you know, yourself or myself. So we try to take care of these things. So our baseline might not change that much uh, over time. Um, And that's uh, pretty normal, I would say. And that's also why HRV should not be used as the outcome. So we should not track it to increase HRV itself, but we should use it so that we can keep stress better in balance. And then what we optimize in the longer term It's not HIV itself, but it's health and performance, which is uh, why we should use these tools basically as a way to balance stress and to capture stressors and to use that information to make adjustments in lifestyle or training more than to change the value itself over time. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'll, I'll say that's definitely something I can attest to is over the years, and especially when I first started using the app, like there was a few times when... I'd wake up in the morning and I'd get a low score and, uh, you know, the the app would be saying, Hey, you know, take it easy here. And I'm like, ah, I feel fine. You know, I'll be good. And then sure enough, you know, two, three days later, I'm sick. Right. And, you know, so I didn't listen to what it was doing and tried to push through it. And then I'll ultimately, you know, I'm making a major uh, significant setback because I wasn't respecting what I was getting from the data there. Right. And, you know, now that I've been able to, I mean, again, you'd, can never say for sure what's what's going to happen right when you alter what you're you're doing, but uh, a lot of times when I've seen that now, I'm definitely either you know I still not saying necessarily you need to just totally stop tramming if it really, really drops off or, you know, I always get my lowest scores the day after an Ironman or something. Right. But, uh, you know, um, you know, when you when you're able to recognize that and even just, you know, drop your intensity for the day or something like that and, you know, still keep moving, but uh, but take it easy. um, You know, it's really I've I've rarely gotten sick or, you know, um, I really think it's been able to help me get out in front of some things very well where there's no way, like I said, I would feel fine that morning and, and not expect anything, you know, anything was off. And then, you know, that would be an indicator for me. So yeah, uh, that's, that's yeah, that really makes a huge value that I see with it. Yeah.
0: So I have a yeah. kind of a not, not funny story, but I was consistently using this right before my last Ironman and my readings were just, I mean, I just, I'm so, I was so into it and got good readings all throughout leading up to the race and then right before the race, I got sick and the readings were like the lowest I've ever seen it. And I thought it was just a fluke. So I was just like every morning, I was kind of just redoing the testing, redoing the testing. Like, oh my gosh, it's horrible. And I thought, oh, maybe this app's just broken or something. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have a very good race. I got so I really think, yeah, sick. But- yeah. got really sick and yeah, didn't end up finishing, but I can attest that. Timing. Yeah, very
1: bad timing. Just
2: unfortunate (laughs) timing. But the app works. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly, right? And I think that's an uh, Yeah, yeah, it's one of the, I think, sickness and, you know, those kind of things are one of the things that always uh, shows up very clearly in the data because it's a big stressor. So uh, typically it's also repeated. So it's not just one day. It's maybe a couple of days. So it's more difficult to ignore also when those kind of things happen. Um, while yeah, when you have just uh, an acute suppression, maybe, and feeling good, as you mentioned, Colin, before, it's something where, you know, you always question a bit, like, shall I listen to this? Or uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, totally fine to train. And I think what matters there is maybe trying to be a bit flexible, just with uh, the intensity. As you said, you don't have to rest, right? If you train every day and that's normal for you, then an easy workout will do it's um, the the complete rest situation unless you're sick it's going to be for someone that maybe trains three or four times per week and then you know something is off then it's better maybe to shift that day but for someone that is training all the time i think uh, from the data and also from our experience um, low intensity is typically fine unless you're sick uh, and that is not going to create a significant disruption or compromise. Uh, basically, the system bouncing back to normal within a day or whatever, uh, yeah, needed to happen. But uh, that's typically, yeah, I think what we can play with more than more than anything is really the intensity of uh, what we are going to do.
1: Right. Yeah. No, absolutely.
2: It's another quick
1: question here, kind of level setting for people. Um, how do you, when in what position, and like, how do you recommend people measure their HRV?
2: Yeah, so uh, normally the first uh, thing to do is to try to establish some sort of morning routine that is the same um, every day, regardless of what is exactly your routine. It should be this uh, consistent across days. So. Um, the easiest for most people is just to grab their phone and measure while lying down in bed. So that's totally fine. If in some cases that's not possible because of uh, all sorts of reasons from kids to pets to whatever, uh, you cannot just measure in that moment. Doing something different like going to a quiet room or the bathroom or wherever and sitting there and taking your measurement also totally fine. But in that case, uh, just try to do that every day because body position has an impact. Um, So we need to keep that consistent. There is uh, maybe a case for not measuring lying down for people that have a very low heart rate. Uh, I think still 99% of the cases there is no problem but there are some corner cases in which your HRV might um, not reflect well. Parasympathetic activity This is a case called saturation, in which basically your parasympathetic activity is high, but HRV does not reflect it well. So you can typically spot this because uh, you feel great. You've been training quite a bit. Your resting heart rate is still exactly the same, so it's not changing from your normal, but your HRV is, remains suppressed or particularly low that could be a signal that maybe you are experiencing that um, case of, of parasympathetic saturation and that case maybe it's better to sit uh, but yeah vast majority of cases i think it's better to just lie down uh, it's easier also not to mess it up you know when people start moving around or standing then uh, if you have to wait 30 seconds just you know to restabilize because you want to measure still rested those 30 seconds feel like three hours, first thing in the morning, I've noticed in people, so they're just not gonna relax that minute. So then it's easy to mess it up that way and it's better just to lie down and it's gonna be fine most of the cases. So typically that's what we advise.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good takeaway. I think something that people get confused about is you know how they're measuring it and just making sure that they're being super consistent with it. Um, yeah. So that's great, right, absolutely. So good. Uh, Ellie, you got another question?
0: No, I've just been a huge fan of this app. I mean, I think I started using it in 2006, 17, 16. Okay, wow. And I, I just have love how long term users. Yeah, and yeah. I love, I love how you could just. I mean, it syncs up to Trading Peaks, which I mean, that's the platform I use. And so, I mean, every morning, that's kind of been my routine: is just wake up, put my, my finger, finger over the phone, fun- and final search. <laughs> Yeah, but it's been super helpful for me. And it's been great to just see my trends throughout the time. And I mean, it's been pretty accurate. I mean, every time I've been sick, it's (laughs) said it's kind of predicted it. So been a huge fan of this. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Thank you. So, um, Marco, you and I guess I'll plug your blog here. Is it weekly? You try and get one out? Yeah, more or
2: less. So yeah, yeah, we try to write and uh, yeah, be consistent also with that and let people know that we're still here.
1: Right, right. So uh, really some great information. And one, I guess uh, people can read about it here, but uh, another interesting thing, I mean, so certainly we're talking about it. And most people are doing it in the morning, right? But there's also the ability to do it before bed or at different times. Um, you mind kind of giving us a quick overview on your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I think that it depends a bit Um, on what we wanna capture. So normally when we talk about HRV in the context of these apps or wearables, what we are interested in is this baseline physiological stress. So what comes from your training, potentially getting sick or travel, those kind of things that are, um, let's say more meaningful stressors, not the shorter or transitory ones. Um, And also when we talk about this type of stress, it's really cumulative of everything that we do. It's training, it's lifestyle, and that's why it's useful. It is not specific of anything, but it's sensitive to all that we do. So any sort of stress will show up there. And since our capacity to handle stress is, of course, limited, we cannot take infinite amounts. So that can help us managing things a bit better. And morning measurements or night measurements are good to capture that type of baseline stress, let's say. And then we can try to experiment a bit also differently. There is some interesting research looking at uh, HRV just before and just after, after training, for example. And in that way, um, we might be able to understand a bit better uh, the impact of the session. For example, if we try to train Uh, within a certain training zone, let's say for an easy session below aerobic threshold or something that should be really not taxing the body. Um, We have seen in literature and also in some of the um, experiments we've been running recently, that if you measure your HRV before and after this type of session, and you did correctly, so it was actually at that low intensity, your HRV is not suppressed at all just even right after the the workout so you bounce back very quickly to normal and it can even uh, be higher than before training which is somewhat interesting that basically you have somewhat stimulated positively the system right because we always expect that training is a stressor and maybe the positive change is also something cumulative of many training sessions over many months but there seems to be even acutely uh, potentially a response that is um positive in that sense, if the intensity is low enough. And that allows us to play around also with this a bit and maybe keep the intensity that low, but then look at different durations and see at what durations maybe we start not seeing that anymore. uh, And which means we have some uh, stronger impact on the autonomic nervous system, which of course will lead to a longer recovery being required. Um, So we can try maybe to nail down a bit better also the intensities and these kind of things. Uh, But I think this is still uh, a bit complex and experimental because um, even the protocols to look into this are not well established. So yeah, I don't have, um, yeah, very practical tips on how to try to do this, apart from experimenting a bit with measurements before and after and seeing what's your response um, depending on the intensity and the duration. But I think it's quite an um, interesting area to, to explore further. We hope to do some more studies in the year um, that follows. Yeah. yeah.
1: But I think a quick takeaway there from anyone here, right, is uh, going back to what we always harp on, especially as coaches, is right making those easy workouts easy and those hard workouts hard, right? And how Except we can that. actually and you know not to go too far off a tangent. I'm not a huge fan of like regular rest days and things like that. If you're keeping yourself moving and and doing easy workouts, how that actually can enhance your recovery, right? So yeah, um, for sure. You know, so I'll take a pat on the back for that here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i don't know if you what your your willingness is the comp uh to to comment on this here but i'm kind of curious what your your thoughts on the whoop are and and um so i'll start with giving my feedback on it so i'll i'll say um yeah, i was one of I, I think the first people to use it got reached out to kind of proactively and and used it and I think like their, their app and like what they're trying to do is phenomenal. Like, I think it's a really cool kind of layout and stuff like that, but I find, and the huge caveat is that that risk-based, you know, I find it to be extremely inaccurate. And if you're relying on, you know, all these, this data, the data is the key to the essential piece of it, and that's not right, then it just isn't a valuable tool. So Um, I don't know. Again, I don't want to put you in a hot spot here, but uh, it's okay. I can
2: uh, I can comment on the HRV bit. Um, Yeah, I think we've seen also from reviews online and things that during exercise there are issues in the quality of the data. Uh, On my end, I try to look at the resting data, and I always give everybody a chance there, just because it's a bit different. So it's not necessarily the same. If it doesn't work during exercise, it can still work um, during uh, sleep. And uh, until just uh, last summer, they used an approach that unfortunately was a bit inaccurate also there. Um, It created more noise in the data because of the things we discussed earlier. So it would try to isolate this very specific window of time in the night. Uh, Unfortunately, often getting it a bit wrong, it was not capturing that exact window um, when compared to reference systems. Um, And it would still be only five minutes. So because of the reasons we said with circadian rhythm and sleep stages, this basically adds more noise to the data which means you can still capture very strong stressors like sickness or alcohol intake those kind of things that you see also a lot when people share it on social media they are captured well because they're very strong stressors right but um you know as we um, try to use these tools for more subtle changes in response to training and things like that i think then we need to use the data a bit differently um, and I saw just recently, they changed that. So now they also use the full night, uh, slightly different from others, but still the data now it's probably much more similar to what we would get from an ordering, for example. So I think that's a good step, um, okay. in the right direction, let's say. So hopefully that's gonna get, uh, yeah, more consistent also across different tools, at least for the night HRV data, than for exercise, um, yeah, I think regardless of who's making the sensor, I think it's a bit of a hopeless uh, situation. Yeah. And yeah, I always use my chest up when I train, and you know, I develop technology basically to not use chest straps ever again, at least with these morning measurements. But then I grab one when I have to train because otherwise it's exactly. just not good enough. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was tempted. I'm not. I don't post on social media too much, but I uh, I went out for a run. I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, and I forgot to actually uh, connect my, uh, I use an armband one, uh, from, uh, Wahoo that I do find to be accurate, but, uh, it wasn't connected. I looked down, you know, it said my heart rate was like 174 beats per minute. And then I got it connected and it went down and said it was 127 or 126, you know, it's just like, and I know, you know, I know my body well, and I think hopefully people know their bodies well enough to, to recognize these things. But I, I just, I don't even understand why these these risk based exist here and why they're putting them on the watches because I think they're misleading people. And, uh, you, know, yeah, really,
2: true. you know, unfortunately, um, most people don't have the knowledge you have of their right, body right. and that that you see it all the time. Everybody's concerned or just posts things where clearly you can tell that that was just noise and it becomes problematic. But you make actually a good point that there is some hope because some sensors got a lot better, uh, even the polar one, I think the Verity yeah. and the OH one. I've been using one actually um, quite a bit, and uh, it's uh, yeah, I've been testing it quite a bit, and it's very good. I mean, very rarely it fails, uh, and you wear it indeed either um, higher on the arm or in different yeah. places that is not outside the wrist right. where there is maybe exactly. even more noise. And I think that's uh, yeah, that can do, can do, yeah, can provide good data, especially if they have like one of these big matrices of like a million LEDs, and there's a lot of uh, yeah. Um, more channels basically to try to acquire that signal uh, with respect to the simpler ones that have less. And those work um, reasonably well, I would say. Yeah. yeah. So what about some of your,
1: your other apps there that are a little bit enhanced and more for training? Do you want to talk about those a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. So we make a few tools for um, anything, heart rate variability basically. And it's um, a for training is I think our main one um, and the one that is uh, yeah, more mature has been, almost a decade, I would say, since we had the first prototypes now. Um, And that's all about quantifying physiological stress at rest rest, and then trying to make adjustments to keep things in balance. We have a couple of tools for um, research, I would say, and experimentation, mostly used by people just trying out things or universities. Those are camera HRV and HRV logger. So those also are pretty much the same. One uses the camera and one uses sensors and you can just measure any time instead of being constrained, let's say it's the morning routine. Um, but then there is also no interpretation whatsoever. So it's just a way to collect this data. And then uh, you can you know run your experiments, export the data and do your analysis, but it's more of a, let's say advanced tool for someone that is into the kind of data. And analysis um, yeah, associated to autonomic responses and then we have one for biofeedback so that's also I would say more of a consumer tool so deep breathing exercises um, that try to stimulate the parasympathetic system see if that can have an impact on recovery or generally just on um, anything mental health I think that's where these tools are um, typically more used so think about anything that is mindfulness or yoga or any exercise that uh, involves breathing at typically six breaths per minute or around that. So deep, slow breathing and how that should impact um, autonomic activity. And we developed this tool a couple of years ago. I think the interest there is also trying to see if this type of practice, apart from the uh, benefits that have been studied in research associated to certain Um, conditions, let's say, associated to depression and anxiety and and all of that can also impact your baseline physiology in a way because we have um, evidence only of the fact that acutely when you do it, your HIV is very high because of the low and deep breathing. But then that effect is basically disappearing a second after you're done. So it's not lasting. Um, And then the question is, if you practice that repeatedly over time, um, every day, so to speak, and even at the, let's say at the dose that these protocols recommend, which is quite high because it's uh, 40 minutes per day. So it's quite an investment in time, let's say. Um, Do you get changes in resting physiology? Does your HIV improve over time? And I think there, uh, yeah, the jury is still out. It's difficult to uh, see clear associations For some of the reasons we discussed also earlier, maybe some of the people that use these tools already are um, health conscious and things are more or less where they are with their baseline HRV. Um, At the same time, it could be that there are other benefits or that um, you are just able to handle stressors differently despite no change in the baseline physiology. So maybe your physiology changes when you face the stressor in that transitory phase more than at the baseline level so just more questions basically yeah that's cool that's so what cool. is what is that app called marco it's called hrv for biofeedback uh, so very similar um and then um it's it also works either with a camera or a sensor and um it provides a simple test to determine your uh, resonant frequency that would be this low breathing, uh, deep breathing frequency that is optimal to you because it's slightly different between people. Could be six or 5.5 or 6.5. And then when you breathe at that, basically your HRV is maximized. So while you do exercise, it's gonna be much higher than in the morning. Um, And yeah, ideally if you keep that up, uh, you should see some sort of changes. or not, <laughs> but it's, that should be the idea that like to stimulate That's, a bit the parasympathetic system. Yeah, yeah cool. it's
0: really interesting. I'm gonna try that out. Cool. Thanks.
1: Yeah. yeah, cool.
0: So, also, I'm curious here. So,
1: you know, you, if we're going through the you know morning matrine and we're we're doing our one minute test, and then there's also a bunch of subjective que- uh, questions, right? Like, you know, how was the quality of your sleep, you know, different? What time you go to bed? What time you wake up? And um, you know. Alcohol consumption one's easy for me, but uh, you know there's all kinds of those things like that. Um, do you? How, I'm curious, like how much do those? And I'm sure your algorithm's kind of changing all the time. You know, I know you stay on top or whatever, but like how much do those things
2: impact what we see for for results? All right. So here, um, I would say the first um, most important point is that that data is mostly there to provide context around the measurement because otherwise we have physiology without context. And then, uh, yeah, you remember that day, but then two days later, you don't know anymore what happened and it's difficult to make use of the data for yourself. And then another thing that we do is that when we provide a number as HRB, the number is always your physiology. It's not impacted in any way by any question because I think the number needs to reflect just the physiology instead of mixing the physiology and behavior like we have now with all this recovery and readiness scores. i think that's complicated because um let's say you slept a bit less or you exercised a bit more then the algorithm will penalize you because those things are supposed to require more recovery right. but then what if your body does not show that you need any more recovery like what if your body and your physiology is perfectly normal i don't think that it's fair that you have to show a lower score just because the behavior has changed. So I think that sometimes when we put together things, uh, we have this false impression that we gain more insights, but we are actually diluting the insight. We lose information. We don't know where the reduction came from. So that's why we prefer to keep it separate. Uh, So you have your physiology and then you have all the subjective data so that you can try to figure out what caused maybe the reduction in physiology. And then when we provide the advice, we combine them, but that's just in color. So if you see a yellow uh, score, the number is still just the physiology, but yellow might be also because you reported that you were very sore and you slept very poorly. And then the advice will actually say that in the text. So it will say, okay, your HIV is normal, but your subjective scores are negative. So you can always distinguish that way. Um, Where does the issue come from? Uh, And I think that's a bit more useful than trying to put them in a single number where eventually, yeah, uh, you are just mixing up things that I think are more useful if we just keep them separated.
1: Yeah. Well, I do like, uh, I think it was within the last year or so I did switch over so that the HRV score doesn't pop up first before I put in the subjective stuff. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I I like that a lot because then it doesn't you know uh, alter your mental state of what you're thinking at, you know once you get dialed yeah. into, into looking at that score you're not you know going positive because you saw a higher one or going
2: negative because yeah you for saw sure a higher one right it will so, it will impact you so right. never look at it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah right.
2: exactly so I right think uh, it's uh, it's a good idea to keep that it's hidden until you have done the questionnaire because in a way or the other it tends to influence us right yeah very cool um so is there any
1: like uh do you have any relationships or a lot with like uh, professional athletes i know you have like some team things you're doing like what talk about kind of maybe some elite level stuff that you're you've been involved with or even if it doesn't have to do with hrv i guess just kind of for you and and um you know what you've been doing
2: yeah yeah for sure i think in the context of triathlon recently we worked with the dutch triathlon federation i think that was some um interesting work because it was a bit in a different setting it was uh, specifically looking at when they go at altitude and to look at the data uh, in that context which i think you know many uh, professional athletes do that uh, to get that additional stimulus so uh it can be interesting to look at the data um in that specific case and what we saw there um was something that you expect. So, the typical, uh, for example, increase in resting heart rate and reduction in initial as soon as you get there. Then we analyzed also the data a bit differently. And we tried, for example, to see if um, athletes could be split between the athletes that, let's say, responded better to the camp or, or adopted more quickly. Um, And this was uh, derived simply from their training data. So, for example, you know, when you get there, your heart rate at your given power or pace is going to be much higher, right? And then as you adapt, then it's going to get closer to sea level. Okay, so if you adapt, let's say, or get closer to sea level um, faster, then we would classify you as someone that has adapted quickly and, you know, within two weeks, let's say, something like that. Um, if instead you would never get back to sea level until you actually end the camp, then we will put you in the other group. So the group that really did not seem to respond that way. And we could see that the HRV profile of these two groups was quite different. So the one that um, had more trouble adapting, you could tell from the first days that they had a larger physiological disruption, let's say. So their heart rate, was quite a bit higher with respect to sea level, while the other ones, uh, it was still higher, but not as much as for this group. So you could see um, basically that the change in heart rate and in HRV could reflect how well they would adapt uh, within uh, a couple of weeks, Um, which in a way makes sense. So if you have a stronger physiological uh, response, uh, maybe the stressor is a bit higher for you um you know maybe for that type of athlete either you need a little less altitude or maybe you need a couple more weeks at altitude or you could try to play with these things and see if uh, that brings any changes but it was interesting because you could see some of these differences in the first week at altitude in the physiological data so already early on before you could see any difference in how this evolved in the training data later on it was a tiny sample so it was just uh think four elite athletes for two years, so uh, repeated camps, so there was some more data there, but still, um, you know, when, we, when you look at the elite, there's always very few people by definition, uh, but still it was uh, yeah, somewhat interesting to, um, to look at that data, more specifically, this I did in the context of um, when I did my other masters, that was back here in the Netherlands, so I had the opportunity to work a bit more. Um, let's say closer to the field in a way because normally uh, it's not really what I do because we take care of the company and the technology more than working directly with outlets.
1: Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, again, uh, definitely encourage everybody to check out his blog and uh, some cool stuff that he talks about uh, across the board here and things. So that's cool. So and let's just let's plug the app here pretty well. So it's just uh, Apple and Android, right? Uh, HRV for training. How much did it cost? I can't even remember here.
2: It's it's about ten dollars one yeah. time
1: fee. One time fee, ten bucks. You know, so I've been using this for what six, seven years. Uh, you know, <laughs> we, we may have to talk to Marco's uh, business manager here to think about getting a subscription <laughs> going here because I would say that I would, I would honestly pay for it. You know, and and pay you know monthly or, or more often than that because uh, it's extremely valuable to me and something that I use you know every day um so uh it's a steal at this point here till uh till his manager gets that information and they uh, they make the change here you guys better take them up on it and uh and pick up the app if you don't have it already here thank you so much sure sure um oh you got any other questions
0: no thanks for joining us marco it's been a pleasure
2: thank you
1: yeah. Very knowledgeable as a new, uh, it would be, and, uh, definitely appreciate it. And hopefully that gives people a better understanding of our HRV and, uh, why they should be considering using it if they're not already. So, um, so yeah, thanks so much, Marco. Uh, anything else before we go here?
2: Yeah, that's all. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure getting to know you and, uh, yeah, all the best for your training.
1: All right, cool. All right, everybody we will, uh, catch you soon here, but thanks for giving it a listen.